This is a crowd podcast. You're listening to Captains with me, Sam Warburton. This is the podcast that gives you leadership insights about how the best teams come together, grow, and ultimately win. This week, I'm joined by a rugby league legend, Jamie Peacock. What motivates and excites people is passion. You have to give a shit about what you're doing. Your weakness and frailties are what bond you with people. I think no one's perfect and people like a flawed leader. Delivering on on your word, I think it's a kind of superpower. I think it's a skill a lot of people lack in day-to-day life. I say something's going to get done, it's going to get done. Hi everyone and thanks again for listening to Captains and what an episode we have this week. Former Bradford Bulls, Leeds Rhinos, England and Great Britain Rugby League captain Jamie Peacock. In an incredible career, he won nine Super League titles, four Challenge Cups, four World Club Challenge wins and was named Man of Steel in 2003. I've always really admired rugby league players and captains. I think there's a lot of similarities between rugby league and Welsh rugby. And I would watch every Friday night with my granddad when I was young. My mates asked me to go out. Nope, my granddad's coming over. I'm staying in and I'm watching Friday night rugby league with my granddad and my brother. And I loved it growing up. We touch on what made those cultures at Bradford and Leeds so successful. And Jamie talks about fundraising and raising awareness about his former teammate and good friend Rob Burrow, who is currently living with MND. There's a link in the episode description with more information on that, including details on how to donate. Jamie's got a really strong and clear approach to leadership, focusing on honesty, work ethic, and being true to your word. That's a common theme that comes up a few times in our chat. I really loved hearing about what made him tick, so I hope you enjoyed the episode. Here's Jamie Peacock. Jamie, good to see you, mate, and thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure to be here, Sam. Uh, looking forward to chatting to you and uh, getting on this podcast, yeah. Oh, thanks, mate. I-, I love watching Rugby League, and when you you agreed to come on, I was so excited because I loved watching your career in particular. And it, To me, it felt a bit of like a golden era of, of Rugby League, which you were, you were spearheading. And even in my career in Rugby Union, there's been a lot of influential Rugby League players um, who've moved across to the sport of Rugby Union. And whenever they've coached me, I've always thought I'd love to play with you lads because you just seem to have a different mindset to a lot of people that I played with. What do you think it is about the rugby league environment that breeds so many successful leaders and players who then transfer into other walks of life and in particular rugby union for me? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. It's really nice to say that, that we, we were in like a kind of golden period of, of uh, rugby league. I reckon you'd have made a great rugby league player as well, Sam, to be honest. Oh, you know, I went tough or, enough. Or, uh, <laughs> come on, mate. I, I would have loved it. Been, you know, yeah, I would have loved I, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah I reckon great. you would have done. I think just, just in rugby league, what about the leaders? Well, you have to lead by example, first of all. And, and I think um, that's absolutely key in rugby leagues, that ability to lead by example. And, and I think also you have to be good at motivating people. And I, and I think rugby league's a game where if you're not honest, uh, you don't contribute as a leader in those kind of ways through leading by example, through saying the right words, through through delivering on your words, you'll get found out. But I think, again, their skills that if you develop in rugby league, make you successful in rugby league under high-pressure situation, then you can use them in everyday life. I, I, play, I was fortunate to play with and against Andy Farrell and, and you can see that uh, when, it, when you watch that 
Ireland team, I think the, you can see Andy Farrell in that Ireland team, you know, lead by example, great work ethic, you know, never commit. And to me, it looks like as an outsider watching them, they all deliver on the word to each other. And that kind of epitomised Andrew Farrell uh, as a player. And I think the transferable skills from rugby league, but you need them to be successful as a captain, as a leader in, in the sport. I keep an eye on a lot of the high profile boys, say like yourself, the guys from your era, Paul Sculthorpe, obviously Kevin Sinfield now, because I, I love watching you boys. You do a lot of team building talks now and you talk about leadership a lot. I, obviously, I'm doing this podcast now, and but when I was playing, I never had any... I didn't think, oh, when I finish, I'm going to talk about leadership because you're just yeah. in the role doing it. And then when I think back in hindsight, some of the things I did, some of it, I had some planning, I had some help, I had a sports site coach who helped me, but a lot of it I just did. And I only realised I did it in hindsight. Did you plan on always going in to speak about leadership? Or when you were retired, was it something you thought, wow, I've got so much knowledge that I can share here. This is something I really want to pursue in my life post-rugby. Yeah, I think you make a really good point there that I was a little bit the same as you, that you look back in hindsight and realise what you were doing is probably what they show you in academic studies you should be doing, but you just do it anyway, right? You, you know, like collaborating mm. with people, like uh, holding people accountable, trying to lead by example, showing some vulnerability. As I got into my early 30s and then mid-30s still playing, that <laughs> I think kind of the leadership became a much more spoken about than it, than it was. So if you wind back to 2006 when I'm captain in Great Britain, there's no podcast about, there's no people mm. discussing leadership actively all, all, all the time. And you just kind of did what you thought was best at the time, make some mistakes along the way. Key thing is learn from your mistakes that you've made. You know, I made plenty as, as a leader. And then as I got towards back into my career, I was fortunate to meet Damien Hughes. And he started saying, you know, you've got some things you can do differently a lot of people and then I started to really try and extract you know essentially what's my leadership about and can I how can I make that accessible for people because I, I think leadership is accessible for people and, and I think leadership can be overcomplicated. and I, I thought I'm going to keep things simple and make it that someone feels you know what I can do that actually you know I, I can go away and build a better relationship with my teammate I, I can lead exam by example in my own way that's the kind of choice I can make leadership's you know a very small very very tiny percentage about what you see in like a film like Gladiators where yeah. someone makes this amazing <laughs> speech you know that's 0.05% of mm. leadership it's all the other stuff that other people can do so that, I didn't never thought I would be doing it, that's for sure, right? And and as I got back to my backstage in my career, I thought there could be an opportunity and then things have developed for, from there, Sam. Do you think anybody can be a leader or do you think it's confined to certain personalities and people? I think anybody can develop leadership skills. I think, I, I think they're there for everybody to develop. I think that's the thing with leadership, it's accessible. How good you get at those leadership skills is probably down, I think, to how, how self-aware you are uh, as a person and how much you want to try and improve them. So... I think everyone will make mistakes along the way, but I think everyone's got the ability to improve with that. Like, strong work ethic is a good leadership trait, right? You know, mm. if used in the right way, I think somebody can have a strong work ethic and display that. So I think there's lots of different facets to leadership that people can learn. I think if they're really committed to doing it, yeah, it helps if you've got some natural instincts within that, but yeah, we can learn it, but you've just got to have the will to want to do it and then understand you're going to make mistakes, but you've just got to learn from them along the way. What have you found the most transferable skill from playing that you found useful into your life after playing rugby? I think I think the most probably transferable skill is self-discipline, but that mm. ability to deliver on, on your word. And I think that is something that 
delivering on, on, on your word, I, I think it's a kind of superpower, you know, to like always, always do what you say you're going to do. And I think doing that as a player under a lot of fatigue and, and under a lot of pressure, being able to deliver on your word to your teammates, you, you'll know, Sam, that creates trust from your teammates in you, doesn't it? You know, if they know you'll turn up and do what you say you're going to do, regardless of opposition fatigue, um, however you feel. So then there's no reason why you can't do that in normal day-to-day life. And I think it's a skill a lot of people lack in day-to-day life. That's the one thing I found frustrate, most frustrating uh, when I left the playing professional rugby league is getting into the real word. Um, most people don't really deliver on the word or they find it a real challenge to deliver on the word. So for me, I thought this is something I'm going to keep doing and it's going to stand me out. So if I say something's going to get done, it's going to get done. It feels intrinsically important to me to, to do that. I don't think it comes from being let down by anybody or not. And it may come from when I first got into the professional team, I knew if I delivered on my word to the senior professionals on what they wanted me to do, I'd probably stay in the team and win their respect. Delivering on your word to yourself gives yourself high standards. On this podcast so far, almost every guest that we've had, strangely, and don't worry if you buck the trend, but almost every guest that we've had had said they were introverted when they were growing up. A lot of them seem to be quite shy and stuff. Well, I can't imagine a rugby league captain being like that. What were you like growing up? Yeah, I'm not going to book the trend, Sam, unfortunately. I, I, I was a really shy kid. Uh, really? Up, I was, yeah, That's I was mad. Not, yeah, yeah, everyone not, says it. Yeah, it's crazy, but I think just I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a great player growing up. I, I was a kind of player who didn't make, you know, Leeds, Yorkshire or England sides at amateur level. I was never good enough to do it. And I was pretty, right, quiet and reserved in, in how I was as a person, really respectful um, in how I was in, a, in and around people. Um, and, you know, people got signed 16, 17 years age. That's not me. You know, I was not that kind of player. I had to trial at the Bradford Bulls for nearly 12 weeks to get a first-team contract. Really? Yeah, yeah. I think all that kind of really grounded me and, and realised I, I had to work harder than, than anybody else, you know, and that's the way I could get ahead of people. I understood I, I didn't have as much natural, like, rugby IQ as people or rugby talent, but I knew I, knew I could outwork people and I, I knew that... I, when we're doing fitness, that I might be as tired as them, but I knew mentally I could stay in that place for a, a, a kind of long time. So they became kind of my things that work for me. I think sometimes I think being an introvert gives you a great sense of self-awareness that sometimes essentially I don't not sure whether real extroverts have. Uh, that self-awareness when I eventually got my chance to allow me to make it. But do you know what, Sam? I was like a sh- strong-willed kid. I'll tell a story so when I was a nine-year-old, right, uh, back in the 80s, this was, the, there was uh, the famine in Eastern Africa, you know, Ethiopia, and everyone was doing uh, sponsored runs, run the world, you know, off the back of the Tears for Fear songs. So I, I, I was into that, you know, and it struck a chord with me watching news round. Uh, and I think that, first of all, shows a, a bit of my leadership as older, like compassion. You know, one thing that stands out for me is that mm. I, I have compassion for people and I, I, I want to do the right thing. Uh, so I spoke to my mum and said, can I do this run? And, and she went, you're not allowed off street. You're not doing the, the, the 5K run. So I went away. And then the next day, I walked around my street. I worked out with about 250 metres in my mind, you know, doing like trying to do one metre steps. <laughs> and then um, said to my mum, like 250 times... 25, that is 5k to me. So can I run around the street instead and try to raise money that way? She said, yeah, you can do it. So I got my sponsor form, went around my neighbours, got my family and I achieved it. And that for me, I kind of look back on that as a story that I might not have been an extrovert, 
But one of my things I thought in leadership or when I was playing was I always believed there was a way to win and always a way to do something. I'd never not think the one I'd be prepared to push the rules or push what people expect to be able to do it. And I think that started at that young age. So even being an introvert, being an introvert, you can still have a strong will, right? And you can still say the right thing, I think. And, and you have a sense of self-awareness. I think they're key kind of aspects which are good to be a good captain. So I love that story, actually. And that reminds you of something that uh, Ben Ainsley said when he was on the podcast. And he said something at a similar age, he just jumped in a boat and he just he just sailed. And I was thinking, like, not many nine-year-olds would do that. And you're saying that. Not many nine-year-olds would just get up and have that almost motivation or that compassion to do things for other people or to do it for themselves. Where do you think that came from, that, like, hunger to sort of be good and work harder than anyone else? Yeah, it's a, I love that question. It's a great question. I mean, it's a tough one. I think some of that comes... My dad was really quiet, but he's a very hardworking guy. And I think he runs his own business, but I think some of that, just by watching his behaviours, I think that might have been installed in me. But then I, I do think that it might be intrinsically one of my values is that I just want to do a good job, you know, and I want to try excel in, in what I'm doing. I've got, like, pride in myself and the tasks that I do. And I think rugby league or, or rugby union is a great environment to nurture that kind of intrinsic value, isn't it? If you've got a value where you just want to push yourself and want to excel, well, get yourself playing professional sport because that uh, value lends itself to you being successful in that sport, I think. With all this now, I can sort of get you know, I get a good picture of your mindset. So, when was your first experience of, of being a captain? I did a tiny little bit when I, when I was younger, about eleven year to twelve year old. But I, my dad was the, the coach as well, and we had a crap team. And I said to him, "I said, Dad, I, I don't like doing this. You know, I don't, I don't want to be. Just let me play. You know." So um, then I, I only became captain of a side then when I, I got into the first team at the Bradford Bulls and I think Rob, Robbie Paul had to step down one day and we'd, we'd lost some senior players at this point and Brian Noble said, you know what, you, you're going to be captain and uh, I think, you know, I must have started showing the right behaviours first of all but then I think something stood out you know Paul Deakin you know who's moved from rugby to rugby union he once said something to me you know when I first started captain he says you don't speak often but you say the right thing when you do speak you know and, and that's, yeah, that's good. And I thought yeah that's fair enough I, I don't speak a lot to start with but as you get older and more into it you have, you have to learn to speak more don't you but you have to learn to not waffle I think and, and only speak when, when it really needs speaking but as you get more senior more of a captain you you have to learn to kind of deliver more and speak more than you did when you essentially started doing it Sam I was going to ask you right about this about how did that work right when you're captaining the Lions because I'm always really interested in, in that dynamic when I because I just think You've got like four teams that all basically hate each other, right? And you've got to pull together. How does that work in terms of like captaincy, speaking to people and, and those kind of things? That I'm yeah. really mega interested in that. Yeah, so, so like, I will answer. So say like yeah. GB with, with Rugby League, how many yeah. guys from outside of England would join that? So I guess it's not quite the same dynamic as us when we play for the Lions, is it? No, no, it's not the same. We, we, we'd have like uh, um, Brian Carney, it'd be our sole uh, Irishman. And then and that's, probably... I, I, that's what I thought. I thought yeah, so, yeah. 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 We were, um, yeah, obviously it's, it's a pretty even spread. Well, when I was playing, it was a pretty even sp spread across England, Wales and Ireland and Scotland were, weren't represented too much um, in, in my tours. But it was very like, and I was chatting to Paul O'Connell about this, who was a, a Lions captain as yeah. well, who um, captained, and we, I played with him. 
And, and it is, you are treading water for the first few days because you don't know whether what you say is going to resonate with the lads from different countries. But but just, just like we're talking now, what was quite nice actually and reassuring was that it made me realise that rugby cultures and rugby union, I'm sure rugby league as well, they're very similar no matter where you are. It was actually surprisingly easy. I always said Captain the Lions was actually the highest pressure role I ever had. But it was actually the easiest because right. you have so many leaders around you. Did you find that was the same with yourself? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You, you make a good point at the end. You know, you're surrounded by leaders, aren't you? When, when captain in Great Britain was easy for me, really, because you've got six, seven, eight, nine players who could all quite easily do it. And it's a, yeah. and you have to probably speak less, I, I think, when you're captain of Great Britain. Mm, and yeah. certainly with the Leeds Rhinos team as well, we had a, a lot of leaders within that team, which m- makes it easier again within your job. Because I think you can get sick of, sick of your own voice. If you're lacking leadership and there's only a couple of you do it speaking all the time, you just lose impact mm. with what you're saying. Who, who are the good leaders at Leeds Rhinos or, or Bradford for that for that matter? Br- Bradford, there was, you know, I, I got a really good ground in there in leadership at the Bulls because there was a group of players who were essentially very hardworking, probably not the most talented and were very honest in the way they trained, performed and spoke to people. So Brian McDermott, who's gone on to have a, a really successful coaching career, uh, J- Jimmy Laws, Mike Forshaw was in there as well, yeah. uh, Bernard Dwyer, uh, Robbie Paul. And then at the Rhinos, when we first went there, I think it was a, almost a lack of it, really. I think Kevin had stepped up and, and become a really young captain and a good leader. But at that point, it was probably just myself and him. And then over a period of time, like Danny Maguire came through, uh, Rob Burrow came through, Keith of Senior Villa developed as a leader. And then we had older players like Kylie Luluai. We had a Gareth Ellis in there. And we had probably a, a core of six or seven leaders who stayed all the time. Then you drop people who come in for two or three year slots and, and be effective. Danny Badiris, who played with the Aussie uh, captain, that was amazing. He, he was outstanding as well with us. So it, it was. And I think it's, you notice when you've got, a group of good leaders, I think, when things are difficult, I reckon, when you, you've lost games or training needs to be tough or the pressure's on in a game and, and it's easier to win big games and to bounce back from setbacks when you've got a core of players who are good leaders and have got the right behaviours, I think. How would you describe the cultures of those two teams? And even, you know, Great Britain and England, the successful teams you're at, how would you, what were those cultures like? Were they quite ruthless places to be? Were they quite forgiving? What, what sort of culture was it like? I think cultures kind of change in the way you deal with people change over my time in sports. So, you know, turn of the century, it was a lot easier to be blunt with people. Mm. Whereas towards the back end of my career, 2015, you, you had to... to tell the hard truth, but in a slightly different way to people. And I think essentially both, all the cultures are involved in what's successful were full of um, people that were very honest, I thought, and self-aware in their own abilities and also their the leadership styles. I think hard work, work ethic was at the centre of all, all those teams, players who wanted to work hard, players who, who, who were committed to each other. And I think being unselfish was in there as well. I think there was a lot of selfless players and not too much ego in there as well and then also you've got talent right you've got to have talent I think in there but you know if you've got talent with lots of ego and, and not much hard work you're never going to win anything so so you've obviously been retired now eight years and you achieved crazy amount of success individually and and with the teams as well how have you found retirement and filling that void of success it's a question I get a lot and even when I'm sort of off camera chatting to lads I'm like how, how do you find your career post rugby now I think the first kind of difficult part to get over was 
just the difference in the highs and the lows, right? So the highs and mm. lows, as you know, Sam, you experience in sport, mega high or it's mega low, right? <laughs> and the highs are good. The highs are good, right? Because you've, you've put in all that hard work. But I don't mind the lows, right? Because being pissed off and wouldn't be able to put something right, I think sometimes a good place to be yeah. as a group. And, I, and I've, what I've realised in general day-to-day life, you don't kind of get those kind of mega tsunami waves of emotions and feelings. It's more of a ripple, and I think yeah. that's hard to get to used to at first and, and adjust to that. And then I think as well, I just think that shared sense of trying to achieve something that you feel is re- really, really special and, and important is something that you, you'll never kind of replicate, I don't think, outside playing professional sport. And, you know, the closest I've come, Sam, would be marathon running, running in, in marathons, because in a kind of way, you're, you're all in that together. You know, when there's 40,000, you're treading around London, you're in that together, and there's a shared sense of achievement, you know, as you get through, you know, you get into the earth locker, the last kind of six miles or so. Um, that's the closest that I've got to uh, replicating that. And then, for me, it's about, I don't look back, I just look forward and think, you know, rugby league has given me a great platform to be successful as a person, but just the people I've met along the way. And just got to accept, right, that you ain't going to get them super magnificent moments along the way. Yeah. Just that You've had your shot at it and most people could live a lifetime and never get anywhere near close to the feeling of, you know, winning a trophy, captain in your country. They don't get anywhere near that, so I just feel lucky with it. I like that. I want to mention some of the amazing work that you've been doing fundraising, money and awareness for your friend and former teammate, Rob Burrow, who's living with MND at the moment. And you played a key part in that, uh, along the likes of Kevin Sinfield. How many marathons and ultramarathons are you on now? Well, I think your main man with that is uh, Kevin. He's been spearheading the the marathons and ultramarathons. I mean, the kind of backdrop to that story is that, you know, we were teammates with Rob Burroughs for a number of years, 10 years for myself, 20 years for Kevin. And then in 2019, it was December 2019, he gets diagnosed with MND, you know, which just rocks everybody, rocks all, all our words who play with him. And just Rob is just, Rob was the life and soul of a dressing room, the absolute life and soul of a dressing room. What a guy. And so, you know, started to pull together as a, like a band of brothers. It's all right. I think it's all right winning with people, but you find about about people and friends, don't you, when times are tough, I reckon. that That's the hallmark of friendship so we you know we get together we get a big gala dinner for him you know raise a quarter of a million pound then we play a game we come out of retirement and play a game and oh, wow. another quarter of a million pound uh, I, I got stitches in this game four stitches <laughs> but then you know Kevin's just taking it to the next level you know, we thought we've worked really hard for him so Kevin starts to do he does seven marathons in seven days you know I think he raises over 200 million pound I, I, I was fortunate enough to run you know 20k with him on, on one of those marathons then the next thing Kev does you know it's not enough for Kev is this he wants to go again runs 100 mile in 24 hours and again it, people helped him a, a, along the way had a great team with him but it's his determination to put himself out and help his teammate um, I spent you know, I ran the nightclub leg with him two well, three in the morning, me and Barry McDermott called it. And then the final piece that he's just done, his toughest challenge yet, running all the way from Edinburgh down to Old Trafford, seven ultramarathons in seven days. Wow. Unbelievable challenge, ranging from, you know, 26 mile to 43 mile a day. And him and his friends, and I was able to run one one ultramarathon with him, ran the York one, 43 miles with him, uh, just to play a small role in it. But we pulled together as a band of brothers, but the guy who spearheaded it and just been unbelievable has been Kevin Sinfield. And I think he's going to bring all those 
quality. Sorry to say it, Sam, to uh, England Rugby Union uh, now. So, yeah, that, that's what we've been trying to do for our, our inspirational friend, Rob. You referred to your teammates as, as brothers then. Was that friendship really important into the Rhino success when you were there? I, I think it was key, the friendship that we had to be able to be successful. I think you can't keep a group of players together for a long time unless you all get on with each other. Now, now friendship... It's not all about, you know, just being nice to each other all of the time. I think that's the misconstrued thing about friendship. I think friendship is about being there for your mate when times are difficult. We've seen that with Rob at the moment. But times get difficult in a game, right? And you're there for your teammates. And I think you want to push extra hard in a game for somebody who is your friend, somebody who you care about. I think you find that little extra percentage that you definitely need to win big games. I also think friendship is about telling people the truth as well and having honest conversations with people and letting them know where they're at with it. And I think those two kind of things that are integral to being a good friend is being there from when it's difficult, telling them what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. And I think we had that in bucket loads at the Rhinos. Does that mean we were around at everybody's houses? You know, every night of the week? No, it's not. But I think we were friends in the truest sense of the word of that, that we like spending time with each other. We tell each other the truth and we'll be there for each other when it's difficult. And I think that kind of underpins winning teams. You're listening to Captains with me and my guest, rugby league legend, Jamie Peacock. I want to talk a little bit about your leadership traits now. And I, you know, you've obviously given this a lot of thought, I imagine, because you do so much successful talks around your leadership and team building. And, and a question I've asked a lot of our guests, all of our guests, is what would be on their captain's compass? So you've got a compass, you can make it blank, but you can add four leadership traits on there. I'd love to know what would be on, on your leadership compass. First of all, I love this, Sam. I think this is a great, great idea. I wish someone had given me this during my career. I think, I think it's outstanding just to kind of like really... Just focus down. you, yeah. Yeah, what, what the things that are... What's important, right? Mm. You know, ignore the noise, what's important. So, you know, for me, I probably... The, the first thing would be having integrity. Uh, I think having integrity mm. in, in what I do. And that means in what I do on the pitch, what I do for my teammates and what I do for the team. There's no right way to do the wrong thing and I think that's something I'll stand by and will not be compromised on, on, on that one yeah it comes up a lot it's a good one the next one I think you've had this one before but it's so true it's authenticity you just got to be your, yeah yeah you just got to be yourself right you just got to be yourself with your strengths and with with your weaknesses and frailties because I think your weakness and frailties are what bond you with people. I think no one's perfect and people like a flawed leader. People like your flaws with it. And I think with integrity and authenticity, if you don't have integrity and don't have authenticity, if you want to be somebody else, you you just lose trust in the group and trust is the biggest thing, I think, in leaders. Because if you think, you know, if you lose trust in somebody, that bridge is really hard to build again. And an easy way to burn trust is... Don't have integrity and don't be authentic, right? And they're central for me. I won't compromise on them. And then I think around that, it's it's having compassion, all right? Having some compassion and empathy and understanding that everyone's different and everyone brings different things. That's something I've massively had to work on, you know, throughout my career. I probably got it wrong a few times early on in my career, but as I grew older, I understood how important it is that everyone's different. I'm working through that emotion and empathy people have got. Then then my final would be just having some passion. You know, I I just think you have to have, you you, you have to give a shit about what you're doing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you, you just 
do though, don't you? Because you think, <laughs> I, love it. I, I think, you know, what motivates and excites people is passion towards the cause and passion in, in, in what you're doing. And, and I think passion is a really transferable emotion across a group. It can like shoot across a room if you're really passionate about something. So I think as a, as a leader, you do need that. You need that passion about what you're doing. I want to talk about just like, dealing with pressure and tough times and some change. And you went from Bradford to, to Leeds Rhinos. What was that like when you made that switch? Yeah, it, ru- it definitely ruffled a few feathers. They're, they're the, like the biggest two rivals yeah. at that point. You know, Bradford were a very successful team. Leeds were the rivals. It was huge in rugby league. And when, when I announced it, it was just, yeah, it was a really stressful time for me because I was really committed to the lads at Bradford. Um, but I knew my future lie elsewhere. I wanted to play f- for the Rhinos. The club had messed me about in terms of like what they wanted to offer me. You know, said they no more money, brought other players in, and that's you know that breaks one of my bonds. You know, integrity, doing the right thing. So I thought, okay, yeah. it's time. I thought I was moving for the right reasons, but the stress that came with it was just really, really, really difficult to manage. You know, and I got booed like every single game that really? um, after. Yeah, I mean, my last game at home. So my last game at home, we we were uh, playing Hull in the playoffs. We beat Hull. 70 points to four and uh, I managed to score a try right I don't know in the, in the first half and everyone had been booing me but I scored a try but no one could boo me for scoring a try but no one could clap me so it, it fell silent and the only person you could hear clapping was my dad just like he's in the background that's <laughs> 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 the stadium so yeah I mean that was pretty pretty ruthless and like my last game out there was the lads, one of the lads, I think it was Leon and Lee Rafford pointed out, he said, look at that sign up there. And someone had done like a, a big cardboard sign like they used to do back in the day with my head in a noose and like traitor on there. It's like, this is brilliant. <laughs> but yeah, it was proper stressful, like really stressful because it just, you know, you've got that commitment to a group of players. You've been there for nine, 10 years, but you know, it's time to move on. But, you know, left in the best possible way, you know, finishing the grand final with it. And I, there's still some proper fans that don't like me. But for me, you know, what my principle was that I thought, People can boo me, but I'm not going to give them any excuse in terms of my level of performance for the team. I, I'm going to give everything I've got to this group. And the image they'll remind, they'll have of me is me giving my all in this Bradfordshire. And you can still boo me, but you won't be able to take away from my performance for the side. And I think I can control that, but I can't control whether you boo me or not. So I'm going to focus on that. Yeah. How did you deal with that stress? And was there times that you thought it, it's not worth all this? Yeah, I mean, for sure there were times I, I thought it's not worth this, that, that is for sure. I mean, it was difficult to deal with stress. I think stress is a, what we now, 17 years past 2005, 18 years past 2005, and we've come a long way, right, in dealing with well-being and dealing with stress. But back then, there were, you didn't have many coping mechanisms and you're not taught too much about it. I mean, for me, there's there a couple of things that I, I think just coming back to that point that I'm just playing rugby right you know at the end of the day I'm playing rugby I know it's really important to other people but I am just playing rugby and trying to give myself that kind of perspective mm. and then also I think sometimes just trying to see the funny side in things like having a bit of a laugh at seeing my edit in the noose and having a bit of a laugh at booing people <laughs> as well and then I just think the final kind of thing is that comes back to what we talked about Sam is just having willpower of the willpower that you guys are not going to beat me you know, you're not going to impact my mood that much where um, it's going to have an adverse impact on my life and what I do. So um, you, you might think you're getting at me, but you're not, going to, you're not going to win that particular battle. So I think those three in combination help me deal with it. And it was mega stressful. I reckon I probably, you know, I reckon I lost about £7 in weight through that period just because I just found it stressful to deal with and found it hard to sleep. But they were my 
as much coping mechanisms as I could use at that point. What did you do to escape then? Like, what did you do to, like, switch off from rugby? You know, like, people like to play musical instruments, walk the dogs, surf, I don't know. What, what did you find was a nice escape for you to get away from the pressures of playing rugby league? I think what kept me, pardon me, were really grounded was having a bunch of friends from outside rugby who, who, were, who were football fans, not rugby fans, and, and I, I kept that same group of friends a long way through my rugby career, so I was able to go with them and not really essentially speak about rugby and I was just just Jamie Peacock I wasn't a Great Britain captain yeah, I, th- nice. I think that really helped me and um, and then as I got older I think your, your, your family and kids become a really positive distraction for you because you realise how important they are and uh, uh, in, in your lives and I think the, it gives you a grounding that what you do at the time playing professional sport feels really, really serious and it is serious and is important to lots of people. But at the end of the day, it's not brain surgery. You're not changing lives. And I think having that, I think kids and family give you that kind of context around it as well. What were, what were some of the difficult periods then? You mentioned, you know, about you know, the massive highs that we can get as pros and the lows and it's important to have those guys around you at the lows. When... When I say, or I'd ask, you know, what was some of the lows of your careers? What's, what's some of the things that come to the front of your mind and why? Um, I, I think at the Rhinos, right, it, it comes with pressure because there's a, the, the expect, success is expected there. So I think we could go through periods where we'd lose three or four or five games in, in, in a row and, and the world would be on top of us then. And I think what we did really well as a group is we, we didn't point the finger at each other, you know, in a in a nasty way, in like a, or talk behind people's backs. Uh, I think that was key and central. I, I think quite often if groups are struggling, then everyone can split off and and talk behind each other's backs in it. But certainly at the Rhinos, when we were going through difficult times, it's about keeping together, about not having a blame culture, uh, taking personal responsibility for what what you can do to get the group out of where they where they were at at the moment. I think they're, they're the keys that not blaming others, working hard, taking personal responsibility for what you can do to turn the, the team around uh, with it. And then focusing on little wins. You know, you might be in a poor run of form, but you can get in a game and, and maybe win some statistical point of the game. And that might lead to you kind of winning or feeling more positive about what you're doing. What about yourself, Sam? What was that like? Oh, yeah, it's a good one. Well, when you're saying you lost three, four games in a row, it shows how good you were because my club would lose eight in a row and there would still be no pressure because <laughs> we weren't knowing you as good as the Rhinos. But I know, I know the Rhinos are awesome because I used to love watching you lads. You know, I was, it was that was my Friday nights watching rugby league and I'd be sat in with my brother. I loved those days. The lows. And this is why I've had a different perspective since I finished playing. Like, say when you lose for Wales, which is probably how it would feel when you lose at Leeds. I imagine rugby league's enormous, you know, and that's what everyone loves up there. And when you're playing, you think that, like, everyone's looking at you. I don't know, I thought, like, everyone's looking at you, oh, look, it's Jamie Peacock, you know, oh, look, he lost yesterday, he's going through this. But really, people just get on in their own little world. And you think that everyone... I think I heard someone uh, talk about the spotlight effect that it's called, and you think everyone's looking at you and analysing you all the time, but actually they're not. And I think it took me until, sadly, until I finished my career that I'd like, Wales would lose a game, I'm just covering it as a pundit or something. And I'm like, 
God, everyone's not talking about it or thinking about it like I thought they were. But when I was a player, I felt like the microscope was on me all the time. So I don't know. I, I, that's what that's what I found very difficult. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. I've I, I come to quite the same sentiment that sometimes I, I think, sometimes people are quite anxious about what other people think. But the real, mm. reality is we're all not that important. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> no, like, I know, exactly. People really worry about just in day-to-day life what other people say. To them. And I, my worst tip is, you, 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 and take this the right way, you're not that important you know and, uh, and neither am i neither is anybody else you're not that important that people spend hours and hours thinking about yeah. you know? yeah you're bang on you're bang on you said about during some of the difficult times you look for the little wins what would be maybe an example of that yeah, so, so some little wins that you could focus on. Maybe making sure we have more quick play the balls than the opposition. And by focusing on trying to win that quick play the balls, it takes the pressure off, right, we've got to try and win this game. But a byproduct of winning quick play the balls will be that you, you'll give yourself a strong chance of winning the game. So that's kind of like a positive distraction or a little win that could lead consequentially to winning the game. I like that because somebody said that analogy to me before. They asked me, like, what do I want to do? Because I've had some help in this. And I was like, and people will, I'm sure people listening will all think this. Like, oh, I want to have X. I want to achieve X. Like, that's great. But how? Like, how would you get there? So you say there's more focusing on the how, not the what, if that makes sense. Is that kind of what you're referring to? Yeah. Yeah, process. Think on the yeah. process and how we get that process and, and then the result will take care of itself. Yeah. But you've got to take that pressure away from, we've got to win this game. Nah, let's try win these quick play the balls and we'll know we'll have a better performance off the back of it. What about the highs then as a captain? What's been your best moment as captain? Uh, oh, look, look you, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, it would be... Uh, you know, beating Australia in mm. 2006. I thought you um, might say that, yeah. Yeah, he's, he, you know, it's not, I, I, you know, Sam, I, I dreamed, my own, I never thought I'd be a professional rugby league player, but as an eight, nine-year-old watching Great Britain play Australia, I wanted a piece of that. I, oh, I it's just, massive, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it was huge. And then, you you know, the in rugby league, the Australians are, 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 mm. had the aura that the All Blacks had and just to, you know, captain a British side to beat the Aussies in Sydney was just... I mean, look, that's 17 years ago now. That's the last time Great Britain has beaten Australia or England. It, it was a monumental victory and we'd been written off all week. We'd been absolutely obliterated in the press. And uh, to just to have that that win was just just epic, you know. I, I can rec- I reckon, you know, people with the rhinos can be a bit, not jealous, but, you know, a bit bitter about the success you've had. But I, I reckon I can walk in most amateur clubs around the country and they'll want to talk about that game and they'll want to talk about what went on and winning winning that game. You know, it's a huge moment in, in, in my career, that one. What, what were you like pre-match before those big games? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you like to have a routine, don't you? But I never like my routine to be too hard and fast because I've seen players who have a routine, they do one thing wrong and then it affects their performance. I always think, come on, you've got to be mentally stronger than that, you know? Like, yeah. just because you haven't put your boot on the right way don't have any impact on what you do. On, oh, yeah, on the pitch, I'm not superstitious you know? like that. Yeah, no. like that crap. But um, for me, you know, I probably... I think the, the thing I found probably hardest as I got older was the, getting into the mindset of wanting to hurt people. Um, because I, <laughs> I think, do you know... <laughs> Because, <laughs> I burst out laughing because I say when I do talks, I was playing football and I was getting yellow cards and red cards quite a lot as a junior, 14-year-old. Yeah. And I was like, and I mean this in the nicest way, I remember I, I say to people, I joke around, I say, 
I thought to myself, I need to play a sport where I'm legally allowed to hurt people <laughs> because that's the, that's the, that is the mindset you've got to get in, you know? So, yeah, I yeah, just wondered what you yeah. were like. You know, before, pretty, I'm pretty relaxed. But Quite then, chilled, yeah. Yeah, but then about 30 minutes ago, flick the switch, you know, listen to a little bit of music for a bit, maybe 10 minutes, stretch off, get ready, and then with 20 minutes to go, my headphones are off and I'm on, you know, I'm getting around and talking to people quietly about what we're going to do together, you know, what we're going to do together in the game. Let's me and you do this together, get them to make a commitment to it, particularly around the forwards, about how we're going to play, uh, mm. what we're going to do, who we're going to get one over on. And then as we get draw closer and closer to getting out for the warm-up, I'd start to speak quite loud to the group about things we need to do, not ranting and raving, but listen, this is what we need to get a grip of today. And then I'd probably say maybe two or three things that I was going to do for the team and make them clearly, clearly verbal statements to do that because I think once you said it to the group, you've got to do it then. Yeah. And I think I think it gives people confidence in the group as well. If you, if you know someone in your group saying, this is what I'm going to do for you today. You know, this is what you do. Love Give me the ball off the kickoff. I'm going to try splat this guy. Uh, kick, make sure we, you know, like <laughs> if you, that kind of thing. Make sure you kick to him and let's get three on him and, and, and let's, you know, let's fold him off this kickoff. Who's going to do it with us? And I think making them little personal commitments in my little, little small talks to people and then making some bigger ones to the group was my kind of way of. Uh, getting into the game and getting ready for it and then you get out and then in the tunnel I get my one minute goal I think about what I was going to do in the first minute of the game you know and then I'd be straight into the game off the back of that, that that's kind of my my routine with that Fascinating I love that What about with coaches then how did you did you have any difficult relationships you had to navigate with coaches or or were you pretty much aligned on the same page um, I, I'd say I, I've been fortunate to have some great coaches during my career I, I, I think you know my probably biggest challenge around coaches would have been when I first moved to the Rhinos with, with Tony Smith we've got a great relationship now but with us two it was working out where the trust lies you know with each other because I'd always be like look leave me out on the pitch I might look tired but I'll come up with something that's good for for the team just just trust me and I think it took maybe 18 months for us to get to that point and I, we, we had a, I remember I think we played a game and we're doing a recovery afterwards and I, I'm and he's brought me off earlier so me and him I, I've had a bit of a, like a bust up when I'm st- <laughs> I'm still talking with my speedos <laughs> by the side of the pool and the lads are all trying to listen but not look like they're listening to what's going on but then you know we, we worked over that and got to understand each other and he said Do you know what he said a great word I'm going to trust you I'll trust you and to me that was just the best thing he could have said to me because I thought, I can't let this guy down now. I, I put my point across and he said to me, I'm going to trust you, so you're going to get everything you've got from me. And from then, we had a great working relationship. And then at the back end of my career, I blew it. He was great. Brian McLennan, a really people person. But then I had Brian McDermott. He got the best out of me in the backstages of my career. Give me space to be who I was as a person, understood that I was long in the tooth and needed a bit of room to be myself and be independent. He, he, he was magnificent. He's, a, he's an outstanding coach. Did the players change throughout your career? Did you notice from maybe the start of your career to the end of your career that the way you had to sort of lead as a young 20-year-old compared to when you were in your, your mid-30s, did you have to change that style as, the, as your career progressed? Yeah, I think for sure you did. I, I think the, the world's changed within terms of what people expect within the quality of feedback, how you deliver that feedback to, to people. And I just think in terms of... I think sometimes as well there's... Not as much commitment as you would have seen when you were younger. Now, I, I think 
you know, the the player from I'm not saying players aren't committed nowadays. I would never say that, but I think there was a when I first came through him, you know, my early twenties, it was just it's just about work ethic. You you enjoyed yourself, worked hard and you you shot you shot from the hip to people if you were telling the truth. Whereas as you got towards the backstage of your career, you had to be a little bit more gentle around people. And just saw, you know what you saw, the influence of the mobile phone in the, in, in the dressing room, yeah. you know, like, I used, to, I used to hate that. I mean, I tried to influence no phones Friday. I lasted about two Fridays with it before everyone was going outside the dressing room <laughs> and going on the phone. So I think it, it, it has changed and, you know, people are different. And the biggest change, I think, you, you know, to kind of summarise would be in terms of how you speak to people and the feedback you've got to give people with that. I mean, you must have seen that as well, Sam. Big time. Yeah, I think I've exactly the same in rugby union. You can't speak as as bluntly to people as... I, I, I didn't mind people telling me things quite bluntly, you know, and challenging me if they didn't think I was good enough or wasn't delivering. And then I use that as motivation to prove people wrong. And I sort of my career, I think there were coaches who tried talking to players maybe the same way they talked to me. And that player just wouldn't take it well at all. And it would crumble his confidence and... And I think there's then you realise then that some guys, they kind of need to be told how good they are. More players need filling up, as I would say, with confidence and getting reassurance from their coach than when I first started, I think. Yeah, I'd agree, agree 100% with that. I think it's a great way of summarising that. Yeah, that as you, we, not many players needed filling up when, when, you, when I came through, you know, just blunt feedback would do. Uh, but mm. as you got to the whole, you know, 2015, 2016, it's 80% of the group need to be tr- treated that way. Yeah. So... I mean, it's probably quite a difficult question because you sort of completed rugby league and you obviously had some very good advice growing up. But if you could give yourself some advice as a youngster when you're 16 coming through and you were that, as you said, you were that player who probably wasn't the most talented and you never expected to play for Great Britain, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to a younger Jamie Peacock? I mean, it's a tough hard question, that, Sam. I think, for me, it's just believe in yourself a little bit more. You know, believe in yourself. And I think I suffered a lot from that, you know, early on in my career because I wasn't, you know, signed at 16. I wasn't this superstar, which kind of impacted my career a little bit in the first four or five years. Even though I had successes, I think I could have got even more out of it if I just had just that little bit more belief in my own ability, I think, with that. Mm. It's that inner confidence that... You, you do know you're good at what you're doing and and there's nothing wrong with doing that. There's nothing wrong with that internal voice being positive and saying, do you know what, you've got this and you can do mm. this. Because if you do that, you've more chance of being successful. And I think when you're younger, the negative talk is louder in your head. And I think yeah. if you're self-aware enough, you can manage it and become more positive in what you're doing. Definitely. Well, Jamie, loved having you on. It's honestly, it's been a bit of a treat for me because I spent so many Friday nights watching you crush people. I absolutely loved it. <laughs> I went or fold, fold people, as you like to say. So, so getting you on, um, absolutely loved it, mate. You sort of spearheaded a, a golden generation of not just rugby league, like sport for, for GB and loved watching you and your team's success. So, mate, thank you for all the amazing hours you've given me on the sofa watching you lads and a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Sam, you know, the, the feelings likewise, uh, when I got asked to come on this, I thought this is brilliant. I've always wanted to chat to you. I've always admired and respected you from a distance in what you do in oh, Rebune as well. So I've really enjoyed this. It's been a buzz doing this. Thank you for having me on. Oh, pleasure. Thanks, Jamie. Appreciate it. Cheers. Thanks so much to Jamie for his time. We could have spoken for hours about captaincy and his experiences. What I liked most was how Jamie simplified his approach to leadership. Verbalising commitments is a really powerful and effective technique, and he spoke so well on that. 
You get a sense that friendship and those personal connections mean a lot to him, and I agree, they are vital for creating a winning team. Okay, a few reminders. To get bonus episodes and listen ad-free, just subscribe to Crowd Sports Plus on Apple. You can listen ad-free on Amazon Music as well. You can follow the show on LinkedIn. Just search for Captains with Sam Warburton for extra leadership content. You can get in touch with me on social media by using the hashtag CaptainsPod, or you can email me on captains at crowdnetwork.co.uk. Next week, my guest is one of professional cycling's most respected road captains, Luke Rowe. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Crowd Network, a place where you belong.